Welcome everyone to the Inspired Jewish Woman podcast, a place to come together to meet other passionate Jewish women from around the globe. We here value unity and we come together from different backgrounds, places and stages in life. We focus on what unites us being a Jewish woman. We believe that every woman has a beautiful and unique light to shine to our community and to the world. In these podcast interviews, we find the light in others, and we learn from everyone. These are the topics that matter most to you and empower you to be the inspired Jewish woman that you want to be. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everybody. Today we have our guest, Dr. Donna Kuttner who lives just up the street from me in Portland, Oregon. She's a mentor of mine, a dear friend, a community member, and someone that we have so much to learn from. So Donna, how are you doing today? We're wonderful today. Everything is lovely. Lovely sunny day in Portland. Thank God. Thank God. Okay. Well, Donna, I mean, we could probably do a whole series of podcasts with you because you are a unique individual. I feel like you bring me back to my roots as far as just being wholesome and cooking everything in your own kitchen and planting and harvesting your own fruits and vegetables. And Donna is talented in so many ways, sourdough making and basket weaving. You ladies should trust me. Donna is very talented in so many ways, and it's really such an honor to have you here. Our topic for today's conversation, it feels almost like a heavy one, but I'm hoping by the end of the conversation, women will be open-minded to hearing more, learning more, possibly dabbling in this topic. And the topic is Taharas. And there's no word to describe a tahara, there's no English equivalent to it, but it's the burial process, the washing ritual that we do on a Jewish body before burial. And Donna, I know that this is a major passion of yours, and I'd like you to lead today and teach us and tell us how you got involved and really how it's changed your life to be so passionate about this mitzvah. This is one of my favorite subjects, and it is probably, of all the mitzvot, this is the one that has caught me the most. Um, and it is a little bit out of the ordinary. To begin with, um, when I was living in a small town in Oregon, it was a young community. We didn't have a synagogue. We didn't have a real infrastructure as you would normally expect in your big Jewish communities. It was a college town, and most of the people were young professionals or affiliated with the university in some way. Um, so it was a surprise to us as a community when one of our members died, and we really weren't prepared for what to do. So his body was taken to a funeral home, and after the burial and the period when we began to reorganize ourselves afterwards, we realized that we needed to look at that aspect of our lives and prepare more for the future as far as doing things the Jewish way. So that was one of the things that directed me in this direction. The other thing was that when I was getting my doctorate at Oregon State University, there was a class involved called Perspectives on Death and Dying. And I took that class. And in that class, there was a multicultural panel that consisted of mainly students from different countries and different cultures who would come together and discuss their burial practices in their cultures. And I realized that 
because of our discussions within the Jewish community, that me as a white student had a, a unique culture as well. And I shared that. And future classes that were held, I was often invited to be on the panel. About the same time these things were happening, an older woman, I never actually met her, but she moved into the town and she was dying. And she had asked that we prepare ourselves to give her a proper ritual burial. And as we did in that community, we embraced that challenge and we learned about what was involved in the ritual burial process. I remember we read the book that was available to us at the time was by Norman Lamb, recently deceased, by the way. It was called The Jewish Way in Death and Mourning. And um, uh, we read that. We taught ourselves what we were supposed to do. And when the time came that she died, um, we gave her a tahara. Tahara, it means to purify or to be pure. And it's interesting that death is probably the most unpure thing that can cause us to become unpure in Judaism. This has nothing to do with dirt or cleanliness or anything. It has to do with a ritual purification, and it involves water. And so um, my first tahara was rather shocking. I had never, I'd never touched a dead body. Uh, I was unprepared for the stiffness and the coldness, and it left a profound impression on me. And though there wasn't the possibility of a lot of opportunities to perform this ritual, I wanted to do it again after that. So to move forward, I became involved in the Jewish Burial Society in that town. The different tasks that were involved, besides actually performing the tahara, where we wash and dress the body for burial, was the task of sitting shomer or guarding the body up until the time of the funeral. Uh, in our practice, we bury the body as soon as possible after we prepare it for burial. So sometimes the body is held in refrigeration for a while until plans are organized or family members come to, to town. And um, during that time, the body is not supposed to be left alone. In that small town, um, the funeral home was very amenable to keeping itself unlocked for us to take shifts to come in and sit shomer. And during those hours that I was sitting shomer, I had opportunities to look at all the equipment that is used in normal funeral home burials and make the contrast as to how humane and how, how different our approach to burial really is. Um, in the death and dying class, I'd also had opportunities to tour the funeral homes. I don't know if any of you've had an opportunity to read about what goes on, but a lot of chemicals are pumped into the body and uh, things that are done that that are unpleasant to make it nice. And, uh, and just to give you an example, there was one time when the, the community there had to perform a tahara on a woman, and there were also, at the same time, two bodies in refrigeration at that funeral home that were evidence in a criminal process. And so because the, the law required that one of the funeral home representatives be in attendance with us the whole time we were there, we had to agree to that. We don't normally have spectators to, during a tahara. And after we were finished, the woman who was representing the funeral home told us how beautiful it was and how absolutely wonderful it was and how impressed she was with it. So that just gives you a little bit of an idea. Anna, I want to share with you, I don't know if I ever told you the story, but Going back when I was one years old, so 38, 39 years ago, my grandfather passed away. 
And at that time, my family was not observant. So my mother, who was mourning her father, didn't know the laws of taharas and Jewish burial. And he was buried with, you know, there, the funeral was an open casket and he had makeup on. And it, my mother came and she saw her father lying there and it, it disturbed her. She didn't know that it was wrong, but she felt that something was wrong. And that actually pushed her to, to learning more about this process, about the Jewish process of burial. And I think that was really a push in the direction of, of eventually becoming an observant Jew. And my mother actually became a volunteer for the Heber Kadisha, the burial society in Toronto, where she worked for and volunteered for many years there. So it's interesting that what you saw as being so shocking, you know, the chemicals and the way that it's done in the regular world kind of stirred you up that there's something not okay about it. There's something so unnatural about it. And in my work with you, Donna has trained me to do Taharas and I'm very grateful for that experience. It has been a life-changing experience. It was really impressed upon me how beautiful Judaism is. The way that we respect the body, always covering the body, not talking over the body. If there's something we need to discuss, we'll step outside and discuss it. Come back in, it's in silence, it's in unity. There's so much peace in that room. And I remember after my first experience coming home and just being like, if this is how we treat a body, after its soul has already departed. Just, it's just the body, right? So much more so how we should treat every single person while they're alive, while their soul and their body are connected. The amount of respect and dignity that's given during the Sahara process really, really kind of blew me away. I agree with that. And I come away from each separate Sahara with my own new aura in a sense of having done something monumental, having completed a monumental mitzvah, and it takes me a while to step down from that. Um, when I get a call, which doesn't happen every day, thank God, I do maybe four to six a year. We have a number of women, so I don't have to show up for every one, but I get a call the night before, and I will review my material to make sure that I have everything with me that I need, and the morning before I go, when I daven, if I know the name of the deceased, I will pray for her and that she have an easy passage and that, that things should go well during this mitzvah. I try to arrive at the funeral home first because I want to go into the room and make sure that everything is in place. If something is missing, I need to retrieve that. And I want that when the other volunteers arrive that we don't have to run all over the place to gather materials or look for things that might be missing. We usually meet outside the actual room where the tahara takes place and one of us will read some kind of a meditation to get us in the right frame of mind before we go in. And um, we put on gowns and gloves and safety equipment. This is the normal procedure because we do not know what the person has died from and uh, we have to protect ourselves. That also is a mitzvah. Since COVID-19 has restricted us so much. We've had to change our procedure slightly, and we've had to reduce the number of women that take place in each of these taharas, and that has limited us. It's been, it's, been, it's been disappointing and sad that we've had to do that, but we still carry on. We have not yet missed an opportunity to perform this mitzvah. Um, in general, what happens in a tahara, the body comes to us various ways. Sometimes it's come from a hospital, in which case it's usually 
been pretty well cleaned. We open the wrappings and the body is still in a bag. We remove the wrappings. We inspect to make sure that, you know, there's nothing unusual that we're going to have to deal with. Sometimes there are tubes remaining. Sometimes there are, if there has been recent surgery, there may be wounds that we have to watch. Um, there may be bed sores. There may be all kinds of things. So we want to know what we're dealing with before we actually start the washing procedure. There's a, um, a, a procedure that contains prayers and descriptions of the things we're supposed to do that we follow. Every Hebra Kedisha has its own minhag. There's very little in this process that's halakhic. Each Hebra Kedisha has its own special things that they perform and things that they do. But one of the first things we do is to say a prayer that we tell the deceased that asks her permission to do this and that, and that we hope that we will not do anything offensive during the process. We wash the body according to a certain procedure and there are readings that are from the scripture that we read as we do this and then the this leads up to the to the process where the body is actually elevated onto boards which have been dipped in water so they are wet just like in a mikvah and at that point we pour a huge amount of water continuously over the body to simulate immersing in a mikvah so that um and there's a lot of water all over the place. I remember one tahara we did in one funeral home. They didn't have a drain. They had never had a, a Jewish group in there to do a tahara. And some of us from Portland went down to Eugene in Oregon to do this. And so we used every towel in the place to mop up the floor before we could finish dressing the, the deceased. I wear my boots when I come. Yeah, talking about that, I'm very careful when I dress. I don't wear good clothes, but I wear nice clothes. I wear the same thing every time. A black shirt, a gray skirt and my New Balance shoes that are not supposed to slip in the water. And um, the floor gets sometimes kind of slippery. But anyway, um, after we've, we've washed the Meta, we remove the boards, dry her, and then through a, in a certain order, we dress the body. The Tachrachim, the ritual garments, are based on what the high priest wore. There's a pair of pants, there's a shirt, but women, there's a bonnet and a face covering. There's a kittle, and there's a belt, a gartle. We tie these in, on there. we tie around the sleeves, and we use a special tie. It's not a knot like you normally use. When we finish, it looks like the letter Shin, which is the first letter of one of Hashem's names. And then when we tie the belt around the middle, it spells out God's name, all the letters. It's a very meaningful ceremony, and when we finished, we ask the Meitas forgiveness for any wrongdoing that we've done or any insult that may have been perceived. The soul is in the room. We believe that the soul is waiting, wanting to go back into the body and that the soul can't really continue on until the body is buried. So that's why we try to expedite the funeral as quickly as we can and to let her continue on with her progress into the next world. Rana, you did a, a great job at kind of summing it up. I mean, there's so much more to say about the actual process, but you just said it in a nutshell. It's just the cleansing, the purification, the making the mikvah, and then the dressing and preparing the body for its final transition in this world. And it's really beautiful work and it's holy work. And I know that you, who has been doing this for so many years, feels such a, a connection to the women that you do this work with. 
there's a certain bonding. It's kind of like this secret handshake. It's not something that we talk about when we see each other in synagogue. We don't talk about it in the grocery store. It's kind of like a bit of a hidden mitzvah. No one knows. We don't talk to the family about it after we've done the work. You know, I've been at Tahara's and assisting, and then the next day I'll go to the Shiva, and I won't even mention that I was assisting mm -hmm. in their loved one's Tahara. They don't need to know. Nobody needs to know. It's between us and the Meita, the deceased, and us and God. So there's something so precious about this kind of secret club that we have. But the truth is, I don't know if we really want to keep it such a secret anymore. I know that especially here in a small community like Portland, sometimes we struggle to get volunteers. We struggle for women to come and take part in this ritual. And that could be really frustrating. And I'll tell you what my call to action was when you called the first time and said, Evil, you be a volunteer, will you come? I'll, and I said, I've never done this before. And you said, don't worry, I'll pick you up. I'll walk you through it. I'm going to send you some emails. I'll, you could read up on it. I was so scared, Donna. And I remember that first time, maybe two, three years ago, but we went to a different funeral home. It wasn't Holman's for that first time. And you were not happy with the setup and they didn't have everything you needed. And I remember like my first experience was like, you walked into the room, you're checking all the supplies. You looked at the casket, the wooden casket, you ripped out the lining because there was like a satin lining. And then before I know it, you're like passing me a drill <laughs> holes in the wooden box because according to Jewish custom, there needs to be holes. We're going straight down to the earth where we came from. And there needs to be that, you know, that, that, you know, I guess that flow between the body and the earth. So that was my first experience. And I was like, what is going on? There's a dead body on the table, you know, covered in a sheet. I'm drilling holes in a wooden box. And I'm like, I don't know what I signed up for. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, you know, you had to use power tools. <laughs> I must say, Donna, I mean, I feel like it's changed my life in such a profound way. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to do this work with you and keep learning from you. And my call to action was when you drove me home after that first experience together and you turned to me and you got serious and you said, you know, Eve, I've done close to a hundred Taharas and this is my passion and I want to do it for many more years. But in 10 years from now, I might not be strong enough to continue doing this work. I don't know how long God will give me the strength to do this. It's heavy lifting, right? And you looked at me and with so much, I don't know, there was just like this moment where you said, I want to make sure that when I need a Tahara done, I will have someone that will do it for me in the, in the right, in the proper manner, in according to Jewish law. I want to make sure that there are young people coming in and taking this on and stepping into this role. And that was it. Like, even though I had a bit of a shaky first experience, I came home feeling I'm going to take a few days to think about it, to write about it, to reflect. I mean, it was pretty intense mm -hmm. the first time. And it's intense every time, but I've learned how to process it. And I just knew that, you know, when I get that call, I'm going to move my schedule around to be there. So I well, just... you know, this mitzvah isn't for everyone. And one of the things we've been able to do for much of the time that I've been with this Hebra Kadisha is that we've had been able for people who've been interested to be able to come and observe a Tahara and to perhaps do some of the reading while we carry on as usual. And this gives people an opportunity to decide is this something I feel that I can do. Not everybody is called to this. And I think it is a calling. Um, it's hard work. 
it's physically difficult. You have to be strong. I work out at the gym to stay fit so that I can do this. Bodies are heavy and bodies that can't help you with positioning themselves for you to lift and transport them. There's something to be said about dead weight. Uh, so yes, you need to be fit, but we do have backup at the funeral homes who will come in and help at the last minute, should we need it. Because not all the women do work out at the gym for this mitzvah. That's so beautiful. Talk about taking something physical like going to the gym and elevating it. And you're going, you know, so most people are going to get, you know, good biceps or to look good. That's it. Yeah, but that's a minor part of it. I mean, I see that you want to stay healthy, you want to stay fit to serve God and to continue doing this holy work. And I think that's just so beautiful. So beautiful. You should be well for many, many years and have a lot of strength to continue this. I hope so. Um, during this period of time, COVID-19, those of us of a certain age have been asked to step down because of the risks. I think the risks are not so much from the bodies that we cleanse, but from working in such close quarters with other women. Right now, because my husband is going through some difficult physical times, he's going to be having major heart surgery in the next couple of weeks. I've had to keep myself fit, but also not bring home anything that would expose him. So I've had to limit my scope of operations, as it were. And um, this, is, this has been hard to give this up. In a way, I think it's a selfish thing because I do get so much back from this misfa. And I think most of us, if we do mitzvot, we continue to do them because we get something back from it. It takes a lot to make this happen. And how many years have you been serving on the Hever Kedusha? Well, since I've been in Portland, I moved to Portland in 2001. There was a short period of time when, when I stepped down because my daughter had cancer and I just needed to focus all of my energies on life instead of dying. But before that, I think I started doing this in um, 1988. So um, what is that? About 30 something years. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I've been doing it that long. Though it, when I was in Corvallis, I don't think there were that many. Mm. But the thing is, when you're living in a small community, and even Portland, I mean, the Orthodox community here is small. We know each other. It's inevitable that at some point or another, you're going to be performing this mitzvah on on the body of someone you knew and loved. That's another layer of stress, as it were. I mean, even when I don't know the person, I try to form a relationship with my image of what the life of this person must have been. Mm. I do cry. When it's somebody that I've known, and especially someone who's young, it's really hard. It's emotionally draining. When we look at a body in front of us, you could kind of see the story of somebody's life. You know, like I just, you, 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 could, you could tell so much about a person, how they lived, even how they died. You know, you could see if a body has been in a hospital for years on end. You could tell by the bed sores. You could tell by the stress, the color, all of that. And even though we often don't know who this person was, there's a whole story that's right in front of us. And there's a certain connection that we just feel automatically to this person. Yes, I always try to treat the body as though it were the body of my mother. And for many years, when I still had my mother, I knew that I would lose her at some point. And I wanted very much to be able to perform this mitzvah for her. I was not able to do so. And, and it really, it is not something that we 
encourage people to do. You're relieved from duty if it's a near relative. But I look at the woman and I can imagine her as a young bride. I can imagine her as a mother of children. I can imagine her using her body for nursing her children, for carrying them, for the tasks that she must have performed. I can see the story of her life. If she had endured breast cancer or any other kind of their scars on the body, you can read a person's life by that. The calluses on their hands and on their feet. And I try to read the story. I try to imagine this as a human, not as just something that I'm having to, to deal with, but try to see the whole person there. Mm. In the process of lifting the body onto the Tahara boards in dressing the body, we make some really close contact. We, it, it, we actually embrace the body, reaching around to roll the body toward us in order to wash the back and in order to pull down the kittle in the back and then roll the body the other direction in order to pull it down on the other side to pull up the pants. You come in in very, very close contact with the body and I to whisper good things, you know, to the person when I'm dealing with them. One of the very profound images that come to my mind when doing this work is that when we're dressing and putting on the shirt and the kittle, the overcoat, we actually hold hands. You have to hold hands to pull the shirt on and, and to get it over the head. And there's like this certain bonding. And, and Donna, you know, we're, we're both women that love connection and love our Jewish women friends. And we love getting together and fundraisers and volunteer opportunities. But there's nothing that comes quite as close and intimate as doing this work when you're literally hand in hands, like linked in, in past and future. Sometimes I, I think about my grandmothers. I, I don't know, there's a lot that comes, souls that are hovering above. And here we are like hand in hand. It's, it's really, it's hard to even put into words um, the incredible feeling of closeness and bonding and unity that we share with a complete stranger. And sometimes you get a feeling of the presence of the soul. I remember one Tahara many years ago where it just went so easily. I just had this feeling afterwards that, wow, this was really simple. I don't know what was different. And I learned later that this woman had been a resistance fighter and had helped people escape into countries where they could escape the Holocaust and took them through the mountainous passes and so forth. And I had the feeling that maybe she was there guiding us through her own Tahara. I was the only one there that felt that. But sometimes you get those feelings. So amazing. I want to ask you, maybe if you could share one of the many Taharas that really stood out in your mind as being a very powerful experience. Um, you know, obviously, without disclosing any, any of the details of who the person was, but I'm sure yeah. you've had some very interesting cases over the years. When we have a Tahara, there's usually um, a tag on the body, uh, or frequently, not always, but there's a tag that gives the name and the age and the date of birth and the date of death. And I remember the first time that I approached a Meita who was younger than me, and that was kind of an, oh, kind of gaspy moment. And it made me quite aware of my own mortality. There was another time that there was actually, I went in, as I said earlier, I always go there early to make sure everything is, is that we need is available. And there was a box on the table with an envelope taped to it. And it was to the Hever Kadisha. And it was a note from the Meta. That was kind of unusual. And in this, she explained that inside the box uh, was her husband's talit that they had neglected to include it when he died and would we include that in her burial and also there was a scarf that had belonged to her mother 
that she used when she lit candles and she wanted us to place that into the coffin at the same time. And so I called my superior and asked and we were told that we, we could include the uh, talit, but not the scarf. So later I took the scarf down to the office, which is what we, when there's anything that's left over, like jewelry that might be on the body or something that family wanted us to include that we could not include in the burial, I take those down to the office with instructions for them to be returned. And I kind of said a prayer to myself that maybe somebody would wear that scarf for lighting candles and take on that mitzvah. I don't know what, you know, became of it. But um, that's the other thing. You enter this family's existence, this sphere of existence, when you are preparing their loved one for burial. And it's for that moment, you are intimately contacted with that family. And then you go on and they go on and you go your separate ways. So you don't know the end of the story. But it's nice to be a part of the story. So beautiful. Well, a while back when I was doing a Tahara, sometimes things come up and things get complicated and that's just how it goes. And very often we're on the phone with a rabbi or just to get some advice and how to move forward. And there was one case where it just took a lot of work. We had to kind of do things over again and it was hard. And I remember, you know, time is going. Here we are, a bunch of Jewish women leaving our kids, having to get back to work. I mean, everyone, we had to like pause and, 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 and look at the time and be like, okay, how are we going to make this work? Let me make a call. I'm coming in late. I'm going to miss my meeting. And what was so beautiful for me was this feeling of we're all in this together. And mm-hmm. one of my co-volunteers, she said to me, okay, let's get this woman ready to meet her creator. And I just felt like we kind of like took a step back, you know, life was going on outside the the walls of this funeral home, but we we just kind of refocused and said, we're here right now. And we're going to have to put in a little extra work over here. It's going to take more time, but let's do this. And, and it was such a beautiful, like we just all got on it together and we worked together. And I kept thinking, we're gonna we're, we're just bringing this woman like i was you know how you said you sometimes send messages to the to mm-hmm. the soul so the whole time i was talking to this soul saying we're almost there it's been a long road clearly we all have and i just kept saying we're nearly nearly there we're gonna get you clean and pristine and ready to meet your creator and and all of us together working with so much energy and it felt so good when we finally mm-hmm. laid that that woman, that body into the box, put the, the um, stones on her eyes, stones from Israel and a stone on the mouth. And we sprinkle sand, earth from the land of Israel also on the eyes, on the mouth, on the groin, on the heart. We put the rest of the sand in the box. We close everything up. And as we you know, walk the, the casket out, outside the door, ready to go on its journey, we, we chant these beautiful prayers. And the last prayer, Donna, maybe you'll know the words. Um, I, have, I have this here with me. Maybe you? Okay, well, the last prayer, I'd love for you to say the actual words, but we're basically asking for forgiveness. We're saying we did our best with the tools that we had to bring you to this Tahara, um, you know, properly, with the customs that we have in, in our community. And we ask that the soul kind of be a a direct connection between heaven and earth. We we basically plead that this soul should beseech God on our behalf. And I'm telling you, over the last couple months, Mm -hmm. 
this prayer took on a, a special extra urgency because the world is not in the best of places. And as we say these words, and I, I, I cry always at this time, like, please yeah. like, tell God, like, to look down on, on his children. We're trying our best. And we're praying for better times. Please help us. And it's actually such a powerful time to pray. So that's yeah. my favorite part. It's after all the energy, all the effort is put in as you're walking the body onto its next place. Yeah. Is the word conduit? It's on our behalf. Pray for yes. us. See us down here. And I just find it such an amazing way to sum up the whole experience. Um, we're chanting prayers the whole time. As we're pouring the water and getting splashed and wet, we're saying, Tahorahi, Tahorahi, Tahorahi. She is pure. She is pure. She is pure. And just chanting these beautiful passages, it's, it's just completely uplifting to ourselves and to the soul. Like we're just all in it together, which is just beautiful. Well, I usually cry when we escort the body out of the preparation room into the hallway, ready to take them to the hearse to go to the Leviah. It's so beautiful. The prayers that we quote from, the, and these are from the Torah. Some of the prayers that we use are from Song of Songs. It's a beautiful experience. And I think that it's something to look forward to <laughs> in a way, to know that when you're ready to go through that dark passage into the next existence, that someone is doing this for you to prepare you. So beautiful. We are so privileged to be a part of the Jewish people. We really are. And it's beautiful to live as a Jew and to die as a Jew. And I, I want to thank you so much, Donna, for, for sharing so much with us today. There's a lot of food for thought. And, and I know that some of the listeners might be interested in finding out more. And I, I will put your contact information in the notes of our show. I'm happy to answer any questions or to um, send you references to materials. I do train my volunteers. Eve wasn't fortunate enough to get a chance to come to one of the formal trainings, but I do try to do a sit-down training so that when people walk in, they have some preparation for what they're going to feel and experience. So yes, I have access to all kinds of things that are available on the internet, as well as books that you might want to read. Thank you, Donna. And the reason that I really wanted to do this interview, this podcast with you on this topic because my hope is that people will be more open to it. I mean, I, I, I feel like even though it's kind of a heavy topic, I feel that it's a beautiful topic. And I feel that just this conversation brought out so much beauty. We're, we're on fire with it. You know, it, it, it yeah. lights our spark and it makes us feel privileged and honored to do this holy work. And my hope is that there should be many other women out there that should look into it and consider it. That would be yeah. an amazing outcome from this conversation. Yes. And there are other ways you can become involved in the process. Some communities provide a meal of consolation for the family um, when that is sitting Shiva. Um, there are some communities arrange for people to sit Shomer during the time uh, leading up to the preparation and the funeral. So there are no other ways to become involved. And in some communities, people actually get reimbursed for their time. In my communities, I've never, I've never received anything for the for doing this uh, we just don't have the the means in this community but uh, in some of the larger Jewish communities the Hebrew Kaddisha workers and the people who sit Shomer do get paid so you might consider consider looking into this okay well I just want to end with the law the actual law says that when a Jewish body is waiting for burial the whole city actually has to stop working until that body is put to rest 
So it kind of stresses the importance that it's kind of on everyone's shoulders in a way. You can't just say, not for me. I mean, if you don't want to do the actual mm -hmm. work, maybe you could support it in some other way. But as a Jewish community, we're all responsible for one another. And if there is a body that's waiting burial, we actually have to stop what we're doing and make sure that the body is getting buried according to Jewish law. So that kind of shows the importance. And um, there's one other beautiful thing that is known about being involved with the Tahara process is that it's called, it's referred to as a chesed shel emet. It's a, an act of kindness that is, is very unique because it can't be repaid in this world. When you're working with a meta, with a, a, a dead person, that person can never say thank you, can never give anything back to you. And that's part of what makes it so precious. It's just doing mm -hmm. an act of kindness that no one knows about, that is just you and the soul, and you'll never get repaid in this world. And it's just a, so it's kind of special in that way. It's a higher yeah. level of charity. You don't get your name in the bulletin on Shabbos, you don't, with the thank yous for all the volunteers. No, and that's fine. It's its, its own reward. Yeah. That's so special. Well, thank you, Donna. Thank you again. And thank you for inviting me. Do well for many, many more years and continue doing this holy, holy work. It's a pleasure and an honor to know you and to learn from you. And you should just be well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We value that you are a part of our community. Be sure to check out our other podcast episodes. And to learn more about the work that we do at Inspired Jewish Women, please check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website at www.inspiredjewishwomen.com. Notice that we use the word woman and not woman in plural because Jewish women are most powerful when we bond together. And we together can create amazing, positive changes in the world. Bye for now. Hope to see you again soon so we could continue this conversation.